So I grew up primarily in Rochester. And every year when I was a kid, we would trip, make trips back to the Midwest because I was actually born in North Dakota. Do we have any North Dakotans here? Yeah, we got a couple of there, North Dakotans, don't you know? Yeah. So huh, that's right. Yeah, I know. I hear that all the time. And I felt that when we would go back there for a couple of weeks every year. I'm like, I'm glad my parents moved from there. Um, <laughs> it's like, I could tell you story after story. That place is like, wow. Anyway, <clears throat> hey, I, but I have a lot of relatives back there. I love them dearly. And uh, when we would go back, we'd visit family. My dad is the 13th of 14 kids. But, yeah, 13th of 14 kids. That's a lot of years of pregnancy by my grandma, Meckley. And we'd visit my grandma Meckley and my grandpa Meckley and the extended family and my grandma Hybeck and grandpa Hybeck and just amazing. I had amazing grandparents. I had really, really amazing grandparents. And then I don't remember what year it started happening, but somewhere along the way, my grandma Meckley and grandpa Meckley, they'd come out and they would stay with us during the winter because it was a good place to be from, particularly in the winter time. Although I liked it when I was a kid, the one year we went back in the wintertime because the snow drifts were so big, it was like all the houses were A-frames and you could just sled <laughs> right off of the house, right down. It was just crazy, crazy, but so cold you couldn't go outside, you know? It was like, anyway. But it was an amazing time to be able to have my grandma. My grandma was an amazing woman. And um, I'll try not to cry thinking about her because she was such an amazing lady. She just, she was one of those, she was bigger, bigger, bigger gal. So she had a lot of lap, you know? <laughs> and, and she, I remember times when I was just a little guy, like maybe Luca's age, even somewhere right in that area. And, and I'd fall asleep on her lap and she would just hold me. She would be, she didn't want to wake up and wake me up and move around or put me down. And so she just hold me. I don't know what time she'd put me in bed finally, or what would happen that would end up with me in bed. But she just, I just she just hold me for hours as I just snuggle up in her in her bosom and just like just oh my goodness it's just good stuff like this is amazing right and I was positive I was absolutely positive out of the some crazy number of grandkids she had with 14 kids that I was her favorite right <laughs> I was grandma's favorite as a matter of fact I was at a family reunion, and I preached about being grandma's favorite, <laughs> to which everybody, no, and I knew, I knew at that point that, that, that this was the way it was, that everybody thought that. Yeah. No, that, that they were her favorite. Everybody thought that they were grandma's favorite. They were, they were the beloved grandchild, every single grandchild. They were the beloved grandchild. They all had stories. She knew all of her, what was it, 86 or some crazy number like that, grandkids. It's outrageous, 68, 80, I don't remember. But it's just nuts. She knew all their names. She knew all their birthdays. She'd send cards. She'd, I mean, it was just nuts. She's just an amazing, amazing woman and made you feel like you were just special. Like there was nobody else like you that you were dearly loved, dearly cared about, and Everybody, every one of her grandkids, and probably most all of her own, her children, just thought for sure they were, they were the favorite. They were the beloved one. So we're in this series on 
the disciples, on the apostles in particular, talking about just these 12 crazy bunch of guys that Jesus chose to call and have follow him and instruct him, instruct on what it was like to be in the kingdom of God and what it was like to invite people into the kingdom of God and what it was like to just be one of his followers, a citizen. Last week we talked about Matthew and that it was clearly by grace that God called Matthew and it was by grace that Matthew was kept. It wasn't anything that Matthew did. He was quite a scoundrel. He was somebody who extorted taxes out of people. He was part of a really corrupt and broken system. And I ask us, what do we, what do we make of a Matthew today? When we see somebody that maybe is really rough around the edges, that wants to devote their lives to Jesus, do we look at them cross-eyed or do we cheer them? Do we invest in them or do we just kind of Maybe consider, ah, this guy looks too rough, or this gal looks too you know, tattered up. I don't know that I really want to invest too much of my energy in that person. Like, Jesus didn't do that. We need to cheer those that have that glimmer of hope of following Jesus. And in the same way, then, this is all really good news, right? Because it's by grace that you're called. Because you're, you're a sinner, right? We're sinners, <laughs> And because Jesus came to call sinners. So his followers, we're all a bunch, we're, we're sinners. We're, we're called because we are. And we're called then and by God's grace. And we're kept by that grace. And yeah, 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 yeah. I totally get that God wants to transform us. He does. And he will. But we can rest assured that he is with us. And that if he's won us by grace, he's keeping us by grace. So today, you might have guessed it already, some of you, we're going to talk about the Apostle John. John. John and his brother were called to follow Jesus, and they were fishermen. I was already mentioning that it might be a little bit difficult to minister alongside your brother. There'd be a lot of sibling rivalry. I don't know what it would be like if Noah and Luca were in ministry together, right? Woo! Yeah, that would be a little bit crazy. A little bit crazy. So their dad, his name was Zebedee. It's a name you don't hear very often anymore, Zebedee. Sounds more like some kind of nursery rhyme name or something. Now, it's possible that uh, John and his brother James were a little bit better off than some of the other disciples. It's possible that their dad was actually a business owner, if you could call it that, because we know from Mark's gospel that he had people working for him. So it was like a family business where James and John were with their dad out fishing along with his dad's other hired hands. Just painting a little bit of picture of what John might have been like. And so hardworking, probably really didn't like tax collectors because they were out Fishing their fingers off all day long. Is it fishing your fingers off? I don't know. Anyway, you're pulling in nets. I'm thinking that's hard on your fingers, and I'm thinking fingers and thumbs right now. I'm just saying, right? So, <laughs> and then to have somebody take your taxes, part of your fish away, significant numbers of your fish. Like, you just worked really hard for that. And just because you went from one town to another town, somebody's taking your fish away. Like, so it's interesting to think that James and John are ministering and learning and following Jesus alongside this guy that was probably 
taking taxes away from, from them. They were called by Jesus, sons of thunder, James and John were. So John was one of, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. John is one of these sons of, of thunder. And we don't know exactly why, but we can make a pretty good speculation when it comes to the James and John want to rain fire down on the Samaritans, right? Like, you know, let's judge these people and let's get with it, God. Come on, man. Put the smack down on these folks, right? This is kind of the attitudes that they have, probably for people like tax collectors along, along with Samaritans, right? So you guys probably know a lot of this stuff about John. It's also interesting to note that his mommy was around. James and John's mommy was around. Hi, Mom. <laughs> it's interesting to think about that, right? That, like, you hear of his dad, and you don't really ever hear any more about his dad other than that they're his sons. But you do hear narrative in the Gospels about James and John's mom. Do you guys remember some of that narrative? Yeah. Well, these sons of thunder, they want power. They want honor. They want prestige, right? And so they, they apparently go to their mom, and their mom wants it for them too, and get their mom to go to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, can my sons sit in places of honor, one at your right and the other one at your left? Right? Kind of a bold ask, isn't it? <laughs> like, when your kingdom comes in its fullness... Can my sons be your number one and two? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? Jesus' response is like, yeah, I don't think they can drink the cup that I'm going to drink. Well, as a matter of fact, you will drink the cup that I'm going to drink, but you don't understand that cup. You want power for power's sake, for prestige's sake, for your own sake. But what it looks like to be powerful in my kingdom is to be a servant. Be a servant. So it's really interesting because sometimes we disconnect the, the, the Apostle John from some of his narrative. Like we think of, as many of the apostles, we think of them as more formed people, more formed followers of Jesus. But when we think of some of what we read like in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, or the Gospel of John, we'll talk more about that in a minute, that the... the what he started to get and what started to click in his head and what was being formed in his heart and what was going on with him and the Holy Spirit's working in his life and his call repeatedly to, to love one another. Like that dude that was saying those things was the same guy that wanted to rain down thunder, to rain down fire from heaven on, on people. It's a pretty radical transformation, for sure. John was one of three disciples along with his brother and Peter, who were at Jesus' transfiguration. He was probably one of the three closest people to Jesus. This isn't a message on the transfiguration for sure, but that would have been an amazing thing to be at. Jesus goes up on a mountainside, and he's with, with, his, with these three, Peter and James and John, and, and all of a sudden he starts to gleam and glow like light, like lightning. And Moses and Elijah appear. Peter wants to build some tabernacles because it seems like a really good place to hang out. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how this is going to go. We need to go back down off of this mountain and go and continue this other kind of ministry. But you've seen my glory. 
is all about Jesus being glorified by his father. It's all about his father saying, as he had said at Jesus' baptism, this is my son, my beloved son. Listen to him. For with him, I am well pleased. So that experience was had just by three of Jesus' disciples. John was one of them. That had to be a pretty lasting experience. John was the only apostle to die at an old age. The rest of them were killed. They were killed for their witness to Christ. History tells us that John's life was threatened numerous times. People tried to kill him, but for whatever reason, God protected his life and he didn't die. If you read John's history in a textbook, you'll hear things like God over time, or actually I'll put it this way, that John over time softened. John over time softened from this son of thunder wants to rain down fire to the guy who wants to say love one another repeatedly and remind people of that command. But again, I, I would rather look at this as God is taking that part of his spirit that has the passion and the zeal to want to rain down fire and just redirects it. It doesn't make him less of who he is. He just directs it in the same kind of passion. He's like, let's rain down fire on them. And probably even more, he says, no. Let's love one another. Yeah. I mean, that's what God wants to do with you. Take the thing that you're most passionate about that might not be very well oriented toward God and orient it toward him and change you and move in you to help you learn and desire to love one another. It's not just, you know, through gritted teeth that God wants us to be transformed to the point of loving one another. He, sometimes it is that, right? I'm not pretending that it's not. But he wants to bring us to that place where we just we want to love one another. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. It's like we see the things happening in our world around us right now. We see people being shot in malls and people being shot when they're supposed to be being arrested and not to get into all the details of that. We can see that love is really the response that we should have. Love really is the answer. This self-sacrificial, lay-your-life-down sort of thing really is the answer. Of course, there's times when we just don't want to really deal with the problem until the problem is really big. When, if maybe, we dealt with the problem of people not being loved, before the problem was really big, it wouldn't ever get that big. If we could learn to love people in ways on a daily basis, that are self-sacrificial, maybe we wouldn't get there. So I don't know. I remember one of my professors, Dr. Grigsby. Uh, he was one of, He's a pretty good Johannine scholar, and he was really passionate about Johannine studies. And the first time I ever heard Johannine, I was like, what in the world are you talking about? Um, the study of all things John, particularly the gospel of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But... Uh, but he kind of painted this picture of an almost elderly, kind of senile-ish John the Apostle who was just uttering and muttering, didn't know what else to say, just saying, love one another, love one another, love one another, 
You know, just like this constant going on and on and on over this call to love one another. And while that is a little bit of a weird image, maybe, of, of the Apostle John, to think about him getting to that place maybe where he isn't of a great mind, but that's what's stuck. That's what's stuck. Love one another. Like he's boiled it down to just that. If we could just get that, we're doing good. Just love one another. So I sometimes visualize John as an old man just muttering, uttering, repeating over and over again, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. So it drives me crazy. Not really. Somehow John was involved in the gospel that bears his name. There's all kinds, people are all over the board on this. I have no problem with just saying that John was intimately involved with its writing. He probably didn't actually write the Greek that we have because it's likely that he was not literate. So you can go study that on your own. But nonetheless, it doesn't make any difference because how people wrote in antiquity oftentimes used somebody else to, to do it, an amanuensis or a transcribist or somebody else that would actually write stuff down for them. But I'm hard-pressed to imagine that he is not somehow involved with the writing of that gospel as we have it. As well as, again, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now, he's not mentioned specifically in the Gospel of John. But it is believed that he is the beloved disciple. This beloved disciple shows up in the Gospel of John four times. The first time is the Last Supper. Let me read it for you. After he said these things, Jesus became visibly upset, and then he told them why. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, wondering who on earth he was talking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus dearly loved, was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder. Peter motioned to him to ask who Jesus might be talking about. So being the closest, he said, Master, who? Jesus said, the one to whom I give the crust of this bread after I've dipped it. Then he dipped the crust and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon, the Iscariot. And soon as the bread was in his hand, Satan entered him. What you must do, Jesus said, do. Do it and get it over with. Now, I said this was on the night that, during the Last Supper, but technically John's Gospel doesn't talk about the Last Supper, but it is that same night right before he washes his disciples' feet. We're going to talk about these all a little bit more in a few minutes. The next one is Jesus as he's being crucified. It's John chapter 19. When they crucified him, the Roman soldiers took his clothes and divided them up four ways, to each soldier, soldier a fourth. But his robe was seamless, a single piece of weaving. So they said to each other, let's not tear it up. Let's throw dice to see who gets it. This confirmed the scriptures that said they divided up my clothes among them and they drew 
threw dice for my coat. The soldiers validated the scriptures. While the soldiers were looking after themselves, Jesus' mother, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene stood at the foot of the cross. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, the only one that was anywhere near Jesus being crucified. The disciple Jesus loved standing near her. He said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then to the disciple, here is your mother. From that moment, the disciples accepted her as his own. The disciple accepted her as his own mother. The third appearance of this disciple Jesus loved is after the res- after the missing after Mary Magdalene sees Jesus' body is missing from the tomb. Early the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter to reach the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the at the in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And the last appearance of this beloved disciple was after they had returned to fishing. After this, Jesus appeared to the disciples this time at the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. This is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed Twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brothers Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. They went out and got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. The sun came up. Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them. Good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, no. He said, throw the net. This is such a funny thing, actually. Throw the net off the right side of the boat. See what happens. They did what he said. All of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the master! When Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes, for he was stripped for work, and dove into the sea. (laughs) I don't know. 
I don't write, can't write this stuff, right? The other disciple came in by boat, for they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon and Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore. 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. Not one of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the master. Then Jesus took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to disciples since being raised from the dead. So if this is John, the beloved disciple, and if John is involved in the writing of this gospel, why wouldn't he just name himself? Isn't it kind of arrogant to say, oh, I'm a disciple Jesus loved? <laughs> right? Like, what? It seems like it, right? It's like a little bit overreaching almost. Like, you don't think he loved everybody else. Why would he have done that? Favorite kid syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. I know some of you have because I've talked about him before. But, uh, Friar Raymond Brown, Johannine scholar as well, really, really well-respected and well-loved guy, amazing. I really recommend reading anything of his that you can get your hands on. He was once asked who this beloved disciple might be. He explained it this way. The beloved disciple, the hero of the community, is singled out as the particular object of Jesus' love, of Jesus' love. The beloved disciple, while it might represent John in part, is not really one person, but an image of all of the disciples. It would include Nicodemus, who comes to the Lord by night seeking meaning in life. He's the beloved disciple. The Samaritan woman at the well, she is the beloved disciple. The woman caught in adultery, forgiven and renewed. She's the beloved disciple. In fact, all of those who follow Jesus, seeking discipleship, are the beloved disciple. The one whom Jesus loved is all of us. It's any one of us. It could be you. It is you. If you want it to be, it is you, actually, even if you don't want it to be. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be the disciple Jesus loved. It is you. You are the disciple that Jesus loved. I think this is what John is trying to do by putting it that way. He's like, it's him, but he's reading us into the story. He wants us to read ourselves into the story. He's inviting us to take the story on ourselves. Look at, look at the four accounts again for just a second. The first one, the night that Jesus is betrayed when he washes feet. 
The disciple that Jesus loved is laying up against Jesus, head on his shoulder. Intimate. There's a closeness, a desire to be there with Jesus. And some guys at this point are like, that sounds a little bit weird. Resting my head on. But that's where we got to get over ourselves, guys. Jesus says, come to me. He says that to his disciples. Anybody who might possibly want to be his disciple, come to me. And I'll give you rest. What a beautiful image of rest. Even on the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed, John, or the disciple Jesus loved, where we get to insert ourselves into the story, even on that night, Jesus is with that, that disciple, comforting him. Absolutely. Some people say, actually, as looking at that story related specifically to John, that the reason that it was John who we hear the story repeated over and over of love one another, will love one another. And if you read the Gospel of John and the letters of John, you'll, you'll hear that theme. This new command I give to you, not a new command, but an old command, love one another. It's over and over and over that he got that because like laying up against Jesus, Jesus just soaked into John. John soaked Jesus up as he was reclining against him. Or what about the next, the next example of the beloved disciple showing up? Behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Another place where we get to put ourselves into that story. Who, Jesus asks, are my brother and my mothers and my sisters, but the ones who do the will of my father, is what Jesus says. When he says that, his mother wasn't, too concerned with doing the will of the Father, it doesn't seem, because she thought Jesus was maybe a little bit off his rocker. But she came around and came to embrace her son as Messiah and to do his Father's will. And what a beautiful picture of family, of connection of belonging, of meaning. And I know some of you probably, when I shared the story of my grandma and how awesome she was, are thinking, I didn't have that awesome of a grandma. But we have an awesome God and an awesome heavenly father who honestly, as great as my grandma was, love you, grandma. Our heavenly father makes my grandma's love pale in comparison to our heavenly father's love. Or what about the next story then, where Mary Magdalene shows up and tells the disciples of Jesus' missing body. Jesus wants his disciples to hear and to believe and to pursue. I love the image because they hear about it, they think it's kind of crazy, and they take off running. And apparently the disciple Jesus loves a little faster than the other disciple, right? But he doesn't boast then and say, oh, yeah, I got there and I went in first because my faith was better. 
He said he got there, but he didn't even enter in. He stood outside. The other disciple went in first. And then when he believed, we shouldn't misunderstand what it is that he believed. He wasn't all of a sudden like he believed that Jesus was Messiah or that Jesus was even resurrected. All that he believed was his body was missing. <laughs> but sometimes that's what us beloved disciples do. We don't get all the right answers. We sometimes take off running, trying to be excited about what we're not even positive we're going to find or not find. Right? But we're hoping that something's going to be different than what it was from where we just came from. We get all ahead of ourselves, and then we get really close to what it is that we maybe think that we want, which we don't even know what it is, and we don't even want to receive it or go in. We just stand around wondering, huh? And then the slow pokes behind us that we beat go in before us. Sounds an awful lot like the rest of us disciples. And the last disciple that Jesus loved showing up in the scene is this honestly, again, quite humorous account of the disciples returning to what they know in fishing. It's a really peculiar story, isn't it? Kind of kind of awesome, actually. And it's of a bunch of people that know Jesus' body is missing, but they're dejected, and they don't know what it is that they should do. And so Peter decides, it's a fisherman, let's go fishing. We're just like, okay, let's go fishing. You ever feel like doing that sometimes? Like, you get your hopes up so big for something, it doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to, and you're like, let's just go eat some chocolate cake. Full of ice cream, right? Or in this case, these guys, it was fish. <laughs> Better, healthier choice, but <laughs> ice cream is the new fish, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. They they return to what they return to what they return to what they know. You know, they do. But as this. Beloved disciple shows up after they throw the net in on the other side of the boat. <laughs> like, what is up with that, right? Like, what, what are they? It's like the same water under the boat. Those fish apparently can't swim to the other, to the other side, right? Which, obviously, there's something more going on with that, and this message isn't about that. But they were on the wrong side of the boat, and they have thrown the net now in on the right side of the boat. In Greek, left is wrong, right is right. Only the right sticks around for us, right? Should I take a left or a right? Right. What? <laughs> yeah, go, go right to the corner and take a sharp left. <laughs> right? It's after that, though, after this incident of them being like, I guess we'll go ahead and try it on the right side of the boat because we've had it on the left side the whole night. We ain't got diddly squat. Let's put it over on the other side. They do it, and they catch fish. And the beloved disciple says what? It's the master. We've, we've experienced crazy things like this before. It must be the master. I mean, I didn't get it all the rest of the time, but I think I'm getting it now. It's the master. That's us, right? We are like that. 
we don't always get things, but God works with us and continues to shape us and mold us and gives us additional opportunities to hopefully hear his voice. To hopefully hear his voice, and he speaks to us in a lot of different ways. These disciples were spoken to audibly by somebody hollering out, hey, catch any fish? No. But then that on the other side, but they still didn't get the voice until God showed up powerfully. I was talking with somebody that's in the room a couple of weeks ago now, and he reminded me of something that is just so importantly profound. And it's this. One of the most important things about being a disciple and to being a disciple is to learn Jesus' voice. What does Jesus say to us? What is Jesus like? What kind of things does Jesus say? Sometimes it's crazy things like, Put the, put the net in on the other side. Or maybe more importantly, too, what, what is Jesus' way of saying things to us? Yeah. Always love. Absolutely. Huh. So I'm, I'm sitting uh, on Monday. It was Monday. Was it Monday? Whatever day I had the MRI done on my hand. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't know. Eh, it doesn't matter. It does. Well, no, I'm all right with that. Wednesday, the MRI was Wednesday. The other appointment was Monday. And so I put my hand in this, like, donut thing, which itself seems kind of like throwing the net in on the right side of the boat, you know? Because <laughs> I didn't trust my doctor that this plastic donut big thing in the middle of the room was actually going to do something, I would be like seemingly the dumbest thing in the world to do, right? Because I'm, I put my, she tapes my hand to my, my thumb to the rest of my hand and she puts these pillows on either side and then she says, put it in there. So I put it in there and I'm sitting in this chair very uncomfortably because of the sternum thing. And then she packs in all of these little tiny blankets around my hand so I can't move it. And then she says, oh, your hand's probably going to fall asleep and be pretty uncomfortable. And this will only take about 45 minutes. <laughs> and so and and so I'm sitting there, lay kind of half laying there, half sitting there with my hand slowly going to sleep. It's hard to believe how hard it is to keep your hand still when when you don't when 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 you just you know, anyway, golly. So I'm thinking and I'm like, okay, Lord, <laughs> you got me. Say something. Say something. And uh, and he did. I'm not going to go into all of what he had to say, but yeah, right. <laughs> Don't move. What he said. What he. What. He, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I think that thing was actually went on for more like an hour, but this, I couldn't. No, I just. I was actually the stillest that I've been in a long time, and actually I would say <laughs> that it was utterly a gift. It really was. As a matter of fact, I laid there thinking, and I, I, I personally my theology is more complicated than to just say God makes things happen to, in order to speak to us or to do something else. 
yeah, I think he utilizes everything that comes at our way. I don't think God reached down and pushed me into a fence and broke my hand. Um, <clears throat> but I did sit there thinking maybe this is one of those moments when he, he did. I don't, right? I mean, it's just God's complicated. Um, but it's not always cause and effect in how things, you know, work out and the struggles and pain and hurts in our lives. But, but what he said to me first is something that I think that he's saying to us all. It's, it's a universal message. It's not just, just me. And I don't know if it'll have as much significance for you because it, there was some personal elements to it for sure, but hopefully God carries this home. I said, I said, God, what do you think of me? Tell me what, what do you think of me? It's like, honestly, as is probably the case with you guys, there's things in your life where you're disappointed in yourself, right? Like I don't, I'm dis, I, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself at times. You know, I don't, I just blow stuff sometimes, and I don't want to, you know. And so I'm like, God, what do you think of me? And he said, and he flashed this thing in my head that had happened the day before. Was dropping my boys off at school, and Noah's walking away. And I'm like, my goodness, I love that kid so much. There's like nothing I wouldn't do for him. And then I was thinking about like the day before, I was pretty upset with him about something because he was not doing what he was supposed to do. And I was pretty upset. I wasn't very happy with him. And in the MRI machine moment, what God said to me was, that's how I feel about you. Like, I get pretty upset with you sometimes. I'm disappointed in some of the things you do sometimes. But my goodness, I love you. Goodness, I love you. The love you have for Noah is tiny in comparison to the love I have for you. The love your grandma had for you is tiny in comparison to the love I have for you. And this is the love God has for each and every one of you. He's disappointed with us sometimes. He's upset with us sometimes. But the love he has for us is immensely greater than any disappointment, than any frustration. Jesus wants us close to him. Henry Nouwen said in the inner voice of love, that there is a lion and a lamb in all of us. And one of the keys to the kingdom is to let God transform that lion and that lamb that are inside of us, that they might lie down in us together. And it's that knowing that we are loved by our creator that allows that process to happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our Father, that you love us so much. That we know that we disappoint you sometimes and upset you sometimes, but we also know that your love is greater than any of that disappointment, than any of that frustration. 
So, Father, I just pray that for those of us that are here today and can feel this stuff, pray that you would be gentle with us. We know you are. I just pray that you would you would give us all a deep knowing of how much you are for us. A love that would transform us. A love that would leave us in our in our old age or our young age or anywhere in between just murmuring love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Thank you, Jesus, for your love of us. Praise you. Amen.